I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. We are here today to talk about an article I wrote called Trust is a Must, and I got my two faithful companions here, Mr. Dea Pernas and Sean Latimer. Hello. Hey, happy to be here. Happy to have you here. Well, thank you. Well, thank you. Uh, Today, and actually, we'll start out this way. So uh, we were talking about before the podcast, how, where these articles come from. And Sean and I kind of talk about this a lot, is they usually come from just conversations with clients. We're in a season right now where we've had a lot of people reach out to us at the Bonson Group interested in knowing what we do and how we might serve them. And it makes me wonder, why do we see spikes in where a lot of people inquiry versus when we don't hear from a lot of people. What are your thoughts on that? I think that volatility in the market is probably one of the most best indicators that I've seen. When things are great and there's not a lot of news in the news cycle, it's pretty quiet on the home front. When there's a lot of uncertainty out there and there's lots of uh, interesting things going on, maybe a certain video game store is skyrocketing and (laughs) dropping every other day and people want to learn more, that's when a lot of inquiries and questions and things like that come up. Yeah, which is interesting because I have friends that ask me that, like, it's kind of hard to frame it this way, but when the stock market is having a tough time, they kind of come to me and like, man, work's probably really hard right now. Business is probably really slow. And it's actually the opposite, right? It creates this huge appetite where people want advice mm-hmm. and they want guidance. When there is an influx of uncertainty uh, and people feel unsettled, they are looking for a professional to kind of guide them and give them what they need to hear to kind of make the right decisions. Now, what's your experience been kind of not being an advisor, Dea, on kind of that front? Yeah, absolutely. And I I think I almost should be directing the questioning you guys, you guys being the advisors and you guys having these these relationships where I'm primarily on the portfolio analytical side of things. Uh, My circle generally, you know, outside of work, uh, it's mainly uh, mainly friends, uh, friends of friends that are looking to trade their own accounts, <laughs> and especially lately. Uh, and I and I think it was Robinhood that triggered it, or not you know euphoria in the markets or in certain par- pockets of the market. But there's been a massive retail interest in a lot of these stories, whether they be IPOs, uh, w- you know, whether they they be a certain video game store that's gone up uh, x amount of times. As a result of some short squeeze, I've had to explain shorting to uh, people. Uh, my last four conversations, uh, yeah. explaining to people what <laughs> shorting is and how a short squeeze happens. So the interest that I've been getting is mainly around people trying to uh, play or make certain plays, which is which is different than uh, people actually seeking advice how to better their lives for the long term. Yeah, but it's related because, like, think about if you studied viruses in college. Mm. Nobody ever called you. Nobody was ever interested in what you studied until last year. And then every acquaintance or friend or anybody called you. Um, This week, it is very popular to be us. We're getting a lot of phone (laughs) calls for, I had a 20-minute conversation, just like you said, um, explaining shorting. And, And even for me, I was trying to learn, hey, if I was in this person's shoes without the vocabulary, how would I go about understanding this? And I kind of had to say, hey, like, you know how a bank works, right? There's depositors, and what do they do with your money? And the person said they loan it out. And I said stocks are actually the exact same. When a custodian has a stock that you own, on your screen it says you own it, but then they turn around and lend it out. And I kind of explained that process and, and how it all works. But 
I have to learn to be a translator, which is difficult because somebody's not working with a base of vocabulary that maybe the three of us deal with every day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I say it all the time. We are in the communications business, and it's all about if we can't communicate what we do to any level of competency to, to the person we're speaking to, then it's it's almost uh, it's not even worth doing what we do well. Those both those things are connected because if you're able to communicate what you're doing properly, then you're able to give them that confidence and that trust, uh, which our, our relationships are built on. But absolutely, especially on the shorting side of things, is uh, and it can be a difficult thing to explain if you're using industry jargon, which our industry is so heavy on. So really stripping out the jargon and, and speaking in plain English is something I I enjoy doing anyways. And I know I know you guys do as well. So uh, I mean I mean I don't know about just general conversations about the market, but I assume uh, your conversation with person A may be different than person B when it's the exact same concept. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, I guess it goes back to Jesus Christ Himself, right? He when he spoke to groups, he spoke in parables, and if he was speaking to farmers, he would talk language that was relative to farmers. If he was talking to somebody that was a, a religious expert, he would use that language and things that they would be familiar with. So I think we have to navigate that as well. And I like what you said. We absolutely are in the communication business. And we're also in a culture that is polarizing itself. So people are calling in and saying, should I be on the side of you know the, the Dave Portnoy's of the world? Or should I be on the side of the fill in the blank of the world and kind of understanding where they want to align their allegiances. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, I did kind of think about, as you were saying that day, it's true. Um, my wife, she doesn't pay attention to any of this. And so I kind of told her, I go, hey, do you hear what's going on with this one thing we're talking about? Because we're not allowed to say securities. But uh, And she goes, oh, I saw something on Instagram, but I had no idea what they were talking about. And so I tried to break it down for her and I could tell I was losing her. So I would just try to make it more simple, more simple. And then she had that aha moment where she was like, oh, wow, that's bad. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So she, it, that was kind of the aha moment I look for with clients too. Because sometimes when, especially in a newer relationship, you don't necessarily know their background to a T. They, they may understand the basics, you know, stocks, bonds, and everything else. But uh, I, I try to tell them, hey, I'm going to start at square one. And if you already know all this, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to insult you. But I think people enjoy that because it's like a good refresher. And then everything we talk about in the future, we're all on the same page. It's not like I just assume they knew and then that's how accidents happen. Yes, yes. Yeah. And j- just real quickly on that, uh, how do you deal with uh, – and, and we're obviously – you know, we have our circle of competency – and I know myself, when I stray out of that, I'm pretty lost. And I'm on the other side of things. Like my sister is a microbiologist, and I have to slow her down all the time because I, n- I never know what she's talking about. So, uh, so, 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 I mean, we're on the receiving end of the whole thing too. But a lot of times, though, I, you do come across people that uh, pretend that they may know certain things or actually think that they know something they don't. And I find those the challenging conversations when there's a little bit of ego that yeah. you might have to uh, finesse and circle around. And, you know, how do you guys you, deal with you that? You tread lightly because the last thing you want to do is come off rude or insult someone. But so I think it's a combination of, you know, people talk about being an advisor. It's a combination of, you know, art and science. The science is the understanding of this and these and being competent. I think the art is how do you, like you said, communicate this to people. And it's important because if you – if you come into a meeting and you use a, fun, a bunch of financial jargon and you know they don't understand you and you look at that as a good thing because they're not going to ask questions, 
that's a bad that's a bad way to handle business, right? Well, in the opposite, if you know that they're saying something that might not be accurate or they're really conceited, well, I think you gotta gotta kind of take a step back and look at it from their perspective. Maybe they're a little intimidated. Maybe they wanna they don't wanna come in and say, "Hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me?" Because it's hard for people to be vulnerable, especially if they're pretty confident or if they're really good in their own practice. If they're a doctor, they're a microbiologist, they're the man at work or woman. And so they have to come in and say, I don't know how to do this. I need help. That's kind of tough for people to say. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really good segue to the article that I wrote today. Over the last two years, I've written two articles about how to shop for an advisor. And in those two articles, uh, I've linked to them in in this uh, discussion, I've provided 10 questions that if I was in the chair of uh, interviewing advisors that I would ask. And I think you hit the nail on the head, Sean, that it is very difficult to be vulnerable right? But what I didn't do in these last two articles is I didn't really hone in on the most important part of an advisor-client relationship, and that's trust. But the hardest thing is if you're interviewing an advisor and you have one or two sessions with them before you decide to be a client, are you going to have complete trust? You're not. No. Uh, You can't build trust that fast. So your job actually uh, as the client or the investor is to find somebody that is trustworthy, and Dan, I think you make a good point about ego that somebody might come in and kind of want to act like they know what's going on. And it might be ego, but sometimes people feel like they have to, right? I, I've met with a lot of folks recently that I get the feeling that before I met with them, they did a couple Google searches, got some current events and got some high flying stocks of what's going on right now. And they used those pieces to fuel the questions that they wanted to ask me. Where it puts me in a really tough position is I want to get on the other side of the table and tell them these are the questions that you should be asking me because these are the things that are most impactful or most important. But it's really hard. Could Just imagine a job interview, right? It's really hard if you're the candidate and you're trying to tell the employer, no, 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 you should be asking me X, Y, and Z. <laughs> right. But we're in a unique situation where the person that's actually doing the interviewing isn't the expert on the job description. Right. We are, right? We, we're getting interviewed, but we're actually the expert on the, the job description. So that's where I want to discuss with you guys, man, how do you identify trustworthiness? Yeah, you're 100% right. And I, I think it's important to look at more behaviors than, you know, maybe action items because it, it reminded me of a job interview, you know, are you an ethical person? Dea, are you? Yes. Good answer. Moving on. <laughs> you know, it, it, it doesn't really apply anything. Sure. But then when they say, tell me about a time that you had to overcome X. And then you're like, oh, well, let me think about it. And you tell that scenario and you say what you did and how you handled it, the goods, the bads. It tells you a lot about the person. And it's kind of the same thing. It shouldn't just be a checklist. You should be able to actually get to know the person and then use that intuition, that gut feeling of telling you, is this, is this a really good pitch? Are they a really good salesperson? Or is this, does it feel genuine? Uh, I, I completely agree. And I find the best financial advisors uh, w- during a discovery meeting, they don't go in there with any sort of pitch or any sort of rehearsed script uh, or any or anything even close to that. They're really trying to understand the particulars of your situation, which are going to be different from anybody else's situation. And they're going to tell you the services they have that can provide you value. And I think that that is a way to gauge competency because they're having to think flexibly and on the spot and not just try to apply the same type of ideas to everybody. So if you're talking to somebody and you can really tell that they're giving you really tailored feedback, 
I think that's one way of gauging competency, which is a component of trust. Uh, the other component of trust is them, you know, being a uh, being an ethical person, which I think is impossible to know right away. And you're going to have to uh, figure that out, like you know, Sean and Trevor saying in his article, by using your intuition over over a long period of time. And it's something. It's a it's a feeling. And I think that when you have that feeling, uh, there's a reason you have that feeling, and your intuition is telling you that that uh, this person is worthy of my trust, and you should go with that intuition. Yeah, and I think the intuition is important, but what you find is sometimes people turn that light switch off if some other emotion starts to take over, something like charm or even greed, right? I have a, a client that is both a client and a friend, and he worked in the industry. He's retired, and he told me a story of a friend calling him um, describing to him this investment that he was going to make and, and how exciting it was and the person that was managing all this. And the person was Bernie Madoff. Oh, wow. um, and the, the guy, um, my friend, was advising him against it because the person wasn't leaning into their intuition whether this person was trustworthy, even, even though Bernie Madoff had a, a very uh, competency-driven resume and kind of what he had done in the past that he looked trustworthy. Um, but most of it was, man this seems too good to be true and all my friends are doing it and I want to be a part of it. So my friend advised him not to do it and he was still going to do it. But here's the crazy thing. the In 2009 or whenever it was where the Bernie Madoff story hit the newspapers, that guy had the paperwork to invest, signed, sitting on his desk, wow. ready to send back to the institution. Wow. So That's he crazy. was one week away from being part of something that I think, what is it? 10 or, 10 or 12 years later, that they're still unwinding. I, I read an article about the lawyer that's gotten maybe back 66 or 70% of the money, and he's still working on the case. That's incredible. I'd, I'd rather be lucky than good. That's yeah. what he said. That was <laughs> yeah. exactly what he said. Yeah, that's a, what, what, it's incredibly fortunate. And, uh, and that kind of speaks to you know, what, we're, what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's freeing yourself of the... It's being in the right kind of place to make that decision. And if you walk into the discovery process... With all these, uh, you know, underlying emotions or underlying fears, I think that will inhibit your, you know, in, uh, inhibit your intuition. So if you can strip your intuition of fear and greed, I think it can be a pretty powerful tool. So, maybe easier said than done. Yeah, maybe yeah, easier said than definitely. done. Definitely. Here's a question for you because I know how Sean would answer this. We have a similar background in careers, but. When, when you're trying to measure this idea of trustworthiness, and, and maybe that's not kind of top of mind what you think of, but whether it's somebody you're going to work with or somebody that you're going to build a friendship with or whatever it is, how do you go about measuring if that person is trustworthy? So on the ethical side of things, the competency side of things is pretty easy to gauge after uh, – well, it depends on the function, but after a certain amount of time. So when you – let me uh, – because I want to understand. When you say this kind of – there's this two-part, ethical and competent, is that kind of like the sin of omission and commission, meaning that like if you're not competent, you would make a mistake unknowingly, but then if you're unethical, you would make a mistake knowingly to kind of pull one over on somebody or kind of help me understand that? So as far as uh, – I I am talking about strictly as a function of a financial advisor or okay. a professional. Okay. For you to fully trust any professional with anything important to you, they're going to have to be competent. If they're not competent, you can't trust them. Uh, you know, is 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 what I'm getting at. The other part of that is also the ethical part of things. They have to be an ethical person, or else they can take advantage of you somehow. So so I in my in my opinion, a professional relationship, both of those things. 
absolutely have to be there. Uh, I think they're a necessary condition for a long-term relationship. How I would go about uh, gauging tr- trust in a in a professional setting, it's it, you know it's difficult. It's hard to say, it, and it, it uh, there isn't an exact formula for it. If if they do X, Y, and Z, then I trust them. Well, then. If there's an exact formula for it, that's going to be gamed, and then people will know exactly what to do to gain your trust, and then that'll be a bad formula to use. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just created over time. Right, it's created over time, you know, and there isn't really, I, I, I don't really have a great answer. It's just, it's just something that I feel over, a, a, you know, a, a period of time. So one thing Sean and I were trained, and we worked together in a past life, and we learned this thing called behavioral interviews. And I am absolutely not saying that this is a perfect science to solve for sniffing out ethics. Mm. But what this style of interviewing does, it it definitely puts down the defenses because a lot of the questions are asking somebody about their past situations that they've been a part of. So it's not always obvious what you're actually really asking. And let me explain what I mean by that. When you're doing a behavioral interview, in the back of your mind, as the interviewer, you have a certain character trait that you're looking for. Now, like Sean made a joke to earlier, you're not going to ask somebody, hey, Sean, do you have integrity? Because one, that's an uncomfortable question. And two, the answer is always going to be yes. So what you might ask somebody is you're going to ask them a question that in your mind would prove that they do have integrity, but you're not going to ask it in a form of just saying uh, yes or no. You're going to ask them to provide an example from their past. So I might sh- ask Sean something like, um, hey, I, when I think about integrity, I think about making the right decision when no one's looking. So could you give me an example of a time when maybe you had an opportunity to, to do something that was a shortcut, but you decided not to because you wanted to do what was right? And then when Sean gives me the answer, I can kind of pull on that thread a little bit. And what will happen is kind of his defenses are down because he's talking about something in his past. So he's searching his brain for an experience that he had. And it gives me, as the interviewer, an opportunity to kind of just sit back and show me how he navigated a situation and how he made decisions. So for me, again, not a perfect science, but a a very interesting way to have a conversation with somebody to understand how they behaved in the past. And the last little caveat I'll say is past behavior is probably one of the best predictors of what future behavior would be like. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think we should talk about it. I I asked you right before the interview, you gave maybe an example question to ask. Maybe you could touch on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, you didn't like the question, right? (laughs) Well, so I went through kind of a roller coaster of emotions. So when I first read it, I thought, I don't know if this would apply because this is like a terrible way to start a relationship because it may just be it may do the exact opposite. If you're asking a behavioral question because you want their guard down, this might put their guard up immediately and maybe even put the relationship at risk, you know? Yeah, you might be right. So what Sean's talking about, I put a question there um, as an encouragement possibly to ask an advisor you're interviewing. And he's kind of saying when you hear this question, it might just be a total turnoff because it feels aggressive. But the question was, tell me about a time you didn't share the whole truth with a client, a time you knew you weren't being 100% honest. And how'd you go about making that right? Uh, What did you learn from that experience? So maybe that is a really tough first date question to ask somebody. But I did tell Sean, it made me search kind of my own history and kind of think, how would I go about answering that? And I, I thought to myself, hey, in the past, I know a lot of people that come in for a first interview with an advisor, it's natural for them to really want to have a lot of conversations about performance. 
And I've been peppered in my career with performance questions back and forth, even though I don't think those are the best questions to answer. And I've kind of fall victim to that where somebody wanted to understand what their portfolio would have looked like if they owned it over the last 10 years. And I found myself running reports of back tests of current things that we owned. And was that being dishonest? Not so much, but it didn't really help the person, right? To understand, hey, if we went in a time machine 10 years ago, this is what my performance would have looked like. That means nothing, but they felt like that was an important thing to ask. So for me, kind of in my maturity as an advisor, I think I would steer away from that question. And I don't think I would do some of that back testing that maybe I'd done in my younger years as an advisor. Is that something that I was making an ethical mistake on? No, I think it's me trying to, to, to better navigate somebody to make a right decision. Because if that's the only thing they want to make a decision on, maybe there isn't a good fit. Um, maybe they would want to shop with somebody else that that is kind of their bread and butter to say, we want to do XYZ performance no matter what, every year, every month, every week. Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, I kind of went through a roller coaster of emotion because at first I read it and I didn't really like it. But then I thought about it more. And we talk about using your intuition to see if someone's genuine, right? And let's say they are really good salesmen and maybe, but not the most trustworthy. Well, how would you know? Because maybe they're very charming and they're charismatic and they have this pitch and they've got it dialed and you're feeling great. And then you ask them a question like that and it really rattles them or catches them off guard. And you can tell by their answer, maybe it, it shows everything was going great until you, you get that answer. Maybe a red flag goes up where they didn't come off as genuine or didn't seem as polished and the answer didn't appease you. It makes me think like, okay, well, maybe that's something that would disrupt the salesy part and give you an opportunity to see how authentic they are. I, I think that's a, I think that's a great point when it comes to your questioning as the uh, as the interviewer. I think that you should try to go off the standard types of questions that people would ask and ask uh, and ask questions that may be a little out of left field and they could be innocuous or that you know they could not be or whatever whatever your style is. Uh, that particular question, I think, look, if you, if that's, if you have a style where that you feel comfortable asking that, I think you should definitely ask it. I, I probably wouldn't ask a question like that, uh, because I think it can be interpreted as uh, when have you been unethical, which I think would, I think the perfect way to word. I think Sean was right. Right. So maybe, maybe, you know, but if that's, if that's your style, I I think, you know, I, I, my, my mom, for instance, can ask anybody anything and come across as the sweetest person in the world. (laughs) So, I mean, if that's your style, go for it. So, uh, but I, I'm a big fan of asking people questions that may seem off the beaten path a little bit. And I like knowing that they're having to think and be flexible on the spot because you do get that. That, that genuine uh, response. So, so give it to us. You're interviewing an advisor to care for your parents and to look over their finances. Uh, give us an offbeat, off-script question you're going to ask them. So I would ask him something like, um, I would ask him something like, what would your favorite client look like or your favorite client relationship look like and why? Uh, Something that maybe they haven't been asked before. Yeah, that's a good question because it's really disarming. Right. And then that descriptor kind of looks and describes fit where if that's not what your parents look like, you probably want your parents to be their favorite client, right? Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So so I think just getting them, you know, getting a, a... a question that maybe they haven't been asked in a while or 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 ever you know you, you i think you get to know them a little better yeah i think you guys have changed my mind i think in the article 
that's not the perfect way to ask the question. I get what you're saying, Day, about style, but I, I think that can put somebody's defense walls up. And I think the way you've asked the question, Day, is disarming, but actually solves for the same thing. Because what you really want is you want your parents to be their favorite client, because we know people do pay, play favorites, and you want to be treated like a favorite. And if they're not the person, then you'll find somebody that answers that question sufficient, because there is somebody that is specifically trying to serve your parents or somebody yeah. like your parents. Well done. Like it. <laughs> yeah. Dea should have wrote the article. Yeah, I got to go back and correct it. No. Um, so I think we're all kind of lead us to close this out is to say, you don't have to be a finance expert. Like that is absolutely not the expectation. Um, you're, you're looking to hire a, a finance expert. You should be a people expert. Um, what you should look for is somebody that matches. And I use this word sparingly, but your expectations um, if your expectations is to talk to somebody on a monthly basis about your portfolio, you should get that out right out, up front. You should make sure that that person has the availability and that they are going to be able to serve you in that way. Um, if your expectations is to look at some sort of benchmark and do twice as good as that every year, you should really get that out um, and make sure that the alignment is there because all of this is steeped in a foundation of trust. And trust is about, like you said, uh, expertise. Trust is about ethics. Trust is also about alignment, right? Not that you want to be uh, uh, too tribalistic, but you, you do want to have some sort of alignment where you feel like you're on the same team with that person. And kind of I, I close this out saying that this advice is not limited to just how you go about picking an advisor, right? This advice is relative to friendships and other professionals and business partners. You want to make sure that the person on the other side of the table is actually trustworthy. So can you build trust in a day? You can't. But you can start to realize if somebody is actually trustworthy. I love that. You guys that was good, good. With that? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, then we'll close it out. We'll ask that you leave comments on the bottom of the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Uh, you can email us any questions or comments at tom at the Bonson Group.com. And uh, we will be back next week with more of our thoughts, thoughts on, on money. money. Yeah, I pointed at you. I thought you had it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it by the eighth day. Yeah, Tom, I'll finally get it. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice.
This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.